Good morning, Redeemer Arlington. It is great to be here. Um, for those that have not met me before or yet, my name is Fee Kennedy. I'm the RUF International Campus Minister at SMU over in Dallas. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching here a few times, so thank you for having me back. Uh, it's always an honor to be here. Um, we, uh, I have exciting news. My family just welcomed our second baby a month ago. Um, so we had an early Christmas gift. Thank you. Um, I say that in part that if I start if I start saying things that aren't making sense, you can blame it on sleep deprivation. Um, but uh, no, I, I we are so grateful, and there's nothing I'd rather be doing this morning uh, than bringing you God's word. And uh, this I'll be here this week and next week, and so we're going to do a little two part series on um, God's character, God's nature. And so we'll look this week at God's holiness, and next week at God's love. Um, And so I want to ask you a question before we read from God's word in Isaiah 6. Um, What is God like? And the second question I want to ask you is, have you ever seen something that changed you for the rest of your life? So what is God like, and have you ever seen something that changed you for the rest of your life? As we read from Isaiah 6, keep those two questions in mind. Um, This is Isaiah receiving a vision of God. Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, He was called by God into maybe a similar situation we're in today. Uh, A people who had drifted away from God, who had gotten sleepy in their devotion to God, who had been led astray into worshiping false gods. He was called to go and to proclaim God's commandments to them, to call them back to God. And this is the beginning of that, where he receives this vision. So what is God like? And Have you ever seen something that changed you forever? So we'll be reading uh, from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Um, I will pray for us before we open God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for giving us this time together to hear from you. Your word is living and active. Speak to us this morning through your word. Bring us knowledge of the truth. Build up our faith. Convict us and show us, Lord, your promises that we can lean upon you. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, illuminate our understanding as we read from your word. Holy Spirit, be active among us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah, chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is God like? Have you ever asked that question? I'm sure you have. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, there was a guy that was studying there. He was uh, doing a master's, but he was going on to do even more advanced studies. And he had served in the military and had had served in active combat. And uh, I remember asking him what he he was going to study. And he said, I'm going to study theology proper. That's just a fancy way of saying I'm going to study God, God himself, the character and nature of God. And I said, that's interesting. Why do you want to do that? And he said, you know, when I was in active combat, when I was fearing for my life, the the question I had in my head, the thing I wanted to know is who is God? What is God like? It wasn't how can I be saved? It wasn't what does it mean to be a human being? It wasn't how are all things made? All those are all important questions. But in that moment, he said, what I really wanted to cling to was, who is God? I'll give you another story. There's a student. You know, I work with international students. We have students from all over the world and different religious backgrounds. There was a student from Saudi Arabia. We sat down for one of our Bible discussions and read the passage. And I said, is there any questions about any of the words, you know? trying to see if they, just comprehension of the, the English. And he said, I have a question. What do you mean by God? <laughs> and he knew what he was asking. <laughs> it's a great question. Who is God? What is God like? These are such important questions. And the, the answer to that question that we get this morning from Isaiah is that God is holy. Fundamental to who God is is that God is holy. And that matters for us today. Why? Well, because we need to know what God is like to understand what our life should be. And, and also, we are often confused about what does it mean that God is holy and what, is, what should that mean for the world? What should that mean for my neighbors? What I wanna, and we face another difficulty in that holiness is not often looked upon as a good thing. I would say more often than not, if somebody's referring to someone or something as holy, that's kind of a uh, condescending thing. (laughs) They're holier than thou, right? But the Bible tells us that the fact that God is holy is good news. And what this passage is telling us, a very simple message, because God is holy, we must be holy. And that is actually good news. And we're going to look at that in a few ways this morning. So we'll look first at God's holiness from this passage. Then we'll look at our our unholiness. And then lastly, we'll look at how do we become holy. So first here, God's holiness. So you'll see in verses 1 through 4 here, there's this grand vision of this amazing, incredible Lord seated upon a throne. And... Describing and defining what holiness is is actually really challenging. 
If you read books on theology, if you read people who have reflected upon this, what does it actually mean for God to be holy? It's hard to define, but ultimately what it means is that God is set apart. God is different. God is not like us. God is not like any other thing. To say God is holy is to say that God is other. He's set apart. He is consecrated. And we'll, we see that a, a, a couple different ways in these first, four, uh, first few verses here. We see that, that God has a, a royal holiness. It says here that you know, he, he was seated upon a throne. This is, we see this as a king. Now, why might that be important for Isaiah to say right out of the gate? Well, remember verse 1. It said, in the year that King Uzziah died. Well, who was King Uzziah? He was one of the most successful kings in Israel. This was the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and Uzziah was very prosperous. Under his rule, the, the southern kingdom gained a lot of power, a lot of prestige and wealth. Uh, but he actually did not end well. We'll look at that in a second. But put yourself in their shoes. You've had this great king, this great leader that led you into great prosperity, and now he's dead. What are you thinking? We're hopeless. Who are we now? Where, where are we without our great king? And Isaiah steps in through this vision. God is saying through Isaiah, the true king is always on his throne. The true king who has royal holiness is always on his throne. And his, his holiness is royal in the sense that it comes with authority. You know, if, you ever, if you've ever met a president or talked to someone who's met a president, whether it's a president you voted for or not, you, people will tell you it's an odd experience. It's an awe-inspiring experience to be around someone with such authority. It, it strikes almost a fear in you. I'm this close to someone with that authority. Well, imagine the authority that God has, the Holy One, the the perfect royal holiness. So he's other, he's set apart in his authority. But he's also set apart in in his moral perfection. This is often how we think about holiness, right? If we say someone's holy, we typically mean they're they're pure. They they, uh, don't have the stain of sin upon them. Well, this is ultimately the most true of God. No moral imperfection in God, complete moral religious purity. And we see that too because not only is this a throne room, it's also a temple. We see that here because they're they're before, they're in this giant temple, the house of the Lord. So he has a, a royal holiness, but a religious, a moral holiness. You know, he, Isaiah is stunned by what he sees here. It's almost like, have, have you ever walked out on a completely snowy day and you've seen a field covered in perfectly white snow? What happens? You can't look at it. Right? The, the, it's so pure. It's so perfectly consistent and bright. You can't open your eyes. You need glasses. You can't look at it. Well, Isaiah is seeing something that's so perfect, so consistent, so true, 
that he can't even look at it. And these heavenly beings, these seraphim, who are these perfect angelic beings, they can't even look at it. They have to cover their bodies, cover their eyes. They cannot behold this perfect holiness. And not only that, but Isaiah tells us that this holiness is universal. He says, he says it three times, holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, uh, you know, this is a Hebrew idiom. If they wanted to say something was really, really, really something, they said it three times in a row. This is the most holy you could imagine. And he says not only that, but the earth is filled with his glory. The earth is filled with his holiness. There's not a place that his holiness can't go, that it doesn't possess, that it doesn't see. This is the kind of holiness that God possesses. Now, I hope this morning you're able to digest that for a second. You know, we, we, it's very easy in the course of our lives to forget who it is that we come before as our God. That we, we, our maker, our creator, the one who calls us to account is this holy God. And that should strike some awe and fear into our hearts. Have you reflected recently on the holiness of God? Have you, have you taken moments throughout your day to think, wow, this is who God is? I encourage you to do so. And I encourage you to do another thing, too. You know, Isaiah says that the whole earth is filled with God's glory, the glory of his holiness. Have you ever just stepped outside, taken a moment in your workday, and thought, God's glory is all around me? I think it's easy for us to look around and to see the decay, the destruction, the bad things in our life and in the world, but just stop for a moment and to think, His glory is everywhere. Everything around you is speaking the glory of God's holiness. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins says, everything is charged with the grandeur of God. That's the world you live in. I encourage you to take moments out of your day to think about that. You live in this world that is charged with the glory of God's holiness. So Isaiah is taken aback by this vision. And we are too. That this is the God that we serve. This is the God that has come to us. This is the God who made all things. And Isaiah has a vision of his presence. And then something happens, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a response to seeing this. Remember the question, what, have you ever seen something that changed you forever? Well, seeing this changed Isaiah forever. And we see that in verse 5. Look with me there. And I, it says, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what is his response to seeing God's holiness? He says, woe is me. Now, that's a phrase we may be used to hearing now, woe is me. But 
to say woe is me is basically to say cursed am I, condemned am I. It's the opposite of blessing, the opposite of flourishing. Now, for him to say that, he's saying, when I see that, I know I'm condemned. I know that I don't measure up. I know that I haven't met the standard. I know that I am accursed. And he also says, I'm lost. The Hebrew word here, it means I'm I'm ruined. I'm undone. It's like, I don't even know who I am anymore or where I was going, right? Where I thought I was going wasn't where I, th- I thought I, where, where was it I actually was going. I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm unraveling. Have you ever felt like that before? And then he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. It's not just that I'm unclean. Everyone around me is. The the people I'm a part of, we are unclean before God, before this holy and perfect God. Now, I want to ask us a question. Is that still relevant today? Maybe this just is just an old religious way of talking about things. Well, I would argue that in my experience, talking to people who are Christians, non-Christians, a lot of us, actually, all of us, know that we don't measure up. You know, I like to talk about this article that I read several years ago by a university professor. Um, he's at University of Oklahoma, I believe. And he wrote an article called The Strange Persistence of Guilt. And he said, you know, the the old philosophers, they used to think, um, you know, once we've become enlightened, once we've reached this point of superiority over the old religious mindset, we'll know that actually guilt is a thing of the past. It's a fabrication, right? We're not actually guilty before a God. We've, We've gone past that, right? But he said, actually, we're, we are more guilty now than ever. You hear more, more people talking about guilt than they ever have. They just talk about it in a different way. People feel guilty. Young people will often talk about feeling guilty. But it's for structural and, and more cosmic things, right? It's the environment. It's structures. It's systems. Right? We, we feel culpable for these things. And so we try to, we want to identify with the victim so we're not seen as being responsible for the bad things. We talk about guilt all the time. Shame and guilt is everywhere. And he's saying, that's so strange. Why would that be? Another recent example where I saw this was, um, there's a a very famous um, author, Bessel van der Kolk is his name, and he writes on trauma. Um, And it's a very good book that that he wrote. And my wife is a counselor and... um, and so she's talked a lot about this book with me, but um, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. It's a very good book. It's about the effects of trauma. Um, but what has happened is people has, have taken this man's thoughts and have basically turned it into a religion, turned it into a worldview, right? That trauma defines everything. And this article um, was talking about that reality. And this person went to one of his uh, 
uh, one of his retreats. And it's funny because he's always telling people, don't call me a guru. You know, he wants to be a, a, a scientific psychologist. Um, but people can't help themselves. They're like, you have the answers to what's wrong with the world. Listen to this quote. This is how the article ends. This is by a man who has found his hope in what this psychologist has written. And this, he's talking about this discovery of the effects of trauma. He says, we're at the beginning of a new scientific epic of understanding the truth about trauma. Finally, humanity can hope to free itself from the cycles that have dragged us through eons of war, violence, and poverty. Someday soon, he said, finally, we will all become clean. Sounds like Isaiah. (laughs) I'm unclean. Do you see the desire in what he's saying? The recognition that I'm unclean. The world is unclean. We need to be made clean. It's a desire for this holiness, for a wholeness, a consistency, a truth, an integrity that can't be taken away. We all are recognizing this. And Isaiah recognizes this when he sees God. He sees it in comparison to the most holy, perfect God. And we are all made in the image of that God. And so we all know deep down that we are unholy. My wife has always said, and I think this is a brilliant idea. She's always said, I wish in the Olympics that they would put just an average guy out there during all the events. That way we could all see just how impressive every, all these people are. Right? It's not, it's, we, it's uh, deceptive when they're all running against each other, when they're all swimming against each other, right? We need to just put one average person out there, line them up, and that way we can see, wow, those people are incredibly fast, right? Um, But it's the comparison. Isaiah said, in comparison to God, who am I? I'm undone, I'm unclean. I do this a lot with my students. I have students that come from um, you know, Hindu backgrounds, Muslim backgrounds, and I will actually rarely uh, critique their gods, their false gods. In fact, what I do more than, I just want to show them Jesus because I'm convinced, and I've seen it happen, the more that they look at Jesus, the more the comparison, it just pales that the God of the Bible is so different than the God that they grew up with, that the God that they were told about, it's, it's so different. There are no, there's no power there, but they see that by comparison. It's the same with Isaiah here. By comparison, who am I? I am unholy. We are unholy. And that was true of, of King Uzziah. You know, the way that King Uzziah's life ends is he goes to make an offering in the temple by himself, right, in a prideful way. He, I mean, he had become so powerful, he had gotten to his pride, that he said, well, I can go make a sacrifice in the temple, I'm the king. Well, the problem was God's law said only the, the priest could do that. And they confront him about it. And, and in his pride, he just rejects them. He re- see, what he was doing is profaning God's holiness, profaning God's holy temple. This is in 2 Chronicles 26. 
that we read about this. And he's actually struck with leprosy for the rest of his life, making him unclean. And so the people, in their unholiness, were looking to that king for their hope. Looking to that king to give them true holiness. So I just have two simple questions. What king and kingdom are you looking to for your holiness? And secondly, who are you comparing yourself to? We all do it. We all do it. Well, I'm not like that person. <laughs> I'm okay. I do a good job in life. I, I, I'm, I'm up to par. But the Bible tells us the standard is God. The only comparison is to this holy one, this perfect holy God. Who are you comparing yourself to? Well, if, if God is this perfect holy one, if we were made by him to know him, but we have been separated from him by our unholiness, what do we do? Well, that brings me to my last point, which is how we become holy. Look with me at verses six through seven here. This very famous moment. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, Isaiah, after seeing something that no one has ever seen and being taken aback and being utterly in fear and in awe, what happens? He's given access. He's actually made holy. He's actually given a way to come to this God and to be in his presence. How is that? And how? Well, it says that his guilt has been removed. And the word guilt here is like saying his, his sentence of um, judgment. His guilty sentence. It's like being in a courtroom and you're told, here is what you will serve. This is the punishment you are liable to because of what you've done. His record of debt, his legal indebtedness, the guilt says that has been taken away from you. Then it says his sin has been taken away. His sin has been atoned for. His wrongdoing, the iniquity of his life, his transgression, all the things that made him unholy, that has been atoned for. Satisfaction has been made. This holy God who has perfect, holy wrath and judgment towards sin, that has been satisfied, atoned for by the altar, by the sacrifice, by the substitute. He's allowed access because of this. Now, the beauty of where we are in this passage now is that we know something that even Isaiah didn't know. We have a knowledge that even Isaiah didn't have. Is what and who would be on the altar? That actually the one who was sitting on the throne would be the one who goes to the altar. That the perfect holy one, the perfect holy king 
in order to allow us access, would put himself on the altar to satisfy for our sins. And we know that in the coming of Jesus, the perfect son of God, the perfectly holy one, that when you look at his life on earth, you should see someone who was always acting with perfect integrity and holiness, who was always true, who never once reviled in return, who never once acted in a way that treated people with value, with less value than they have, who loved those who were oppressed, who loved those who were the oppressors, who was perfectly humble, who was perfectly kind, who was perfectly loving in every way, and who willingly put himself on the altar for us. You see, that's the beauty of it. When you think of the holy God, you should also immediately think that that holy God loves you so much that he gave his only son that you could draw near to him, that your guilt could be taken away, that your sin could be atoned for, so that you could see something that would change you forever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave up everything for us, that in seeing that, you would be changed forever. Now you can go to your neighbors and you could say, there is a holy God that we are all condemned before, that we all stand before accursed. But guess what? He's atoned for you. If you put your trust in him, that gift of salvation belongs to you. And you can know this perfectly holy one. That is the best news anyone could ever hear. And that will change everything about you. That will change the way you look at the world. It will change the way you look at yourself. It will change the way you look at your neighbors. You are loved to that degree by the perfect holy one. That's the good news. It's the good news of Isaiah. It's the good news of a holy God. So when you ask, what is God like? God is holy. God is holy, but his holiness, and in his holiness, he has made a way for us. But that's for next week, for us to talk about God's love. But this is just a match about his love. But I want to leave you with that good news this morning. And as I come back next week to tell you more about God's love, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is to read from your word, to hear who you are. Lord, we all long to know who you are, what you're like. We all long to see something that will change us forever. And I pray this morning, God, that if we've seen you for the first time, if there are those in here that have beheld you for the first time, that they know they can come to you, that they can come before you and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You have welcomed me that they would come to you in faith. I pray, Lord, for those of us that have been walking with you, that we would see anew your holiness, your glory that fills all the earth, and the great love with which you've loved us by giving yourself for us to atone for us, reconciling us to you. Lord, you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Help us to behold you now as we continue to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.